Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America and outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. We are happy you've joined us today. You know, in this current study, we are opening the pages of the book of James, and it's so very practical for us in our daily walk with God. Remember, James throughout this book 19 times is talking to my brothers and sisters. You know, we might even consider this to be a family conversation. How should we live out our faith? How should we be acting? What what are our behaviors in real everyday life? And I just want to share some highlights from chapter one of the book of James. And and I'm not even going to touch on all of them. It is so rich, but my heart was just really blessed when Walt and I went through this list earlier. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, tests. Why? Because these are a part of life for everyone. And why? Because God means for them to strengthen us, to mature us in our faith. Next, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely. He gives generously. And then James instructs us to act kindly and care for people, whether rich or poor. Don't show partiality. Don't show them where to sit or where to stand based on how they're dressed or what they look like. I love this one. Let's remember every good gift is from our Heavenly Father. And then James says, be quick to hear. You know, you've got two ears. Be slow to speak. Why? Because you've got one tongue. And then be slow to anger. A good word. And finally, as we come down to those last verses in chapter one, be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know, as James continues um, in this passage, we're now up to chapter 3, and he starts this section with a statement to teachers. And, and remember, James is the lead teacher at the church in Jerusalem, and he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter judgment. This seems kind of odd that James would make this statement about teachers, especially in light of Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And Paul in Ephesians 4 talks about that he gave to the church some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So, So James obviously is not saying there's no need for teachers, He said, I am one, but this is my warning. What he's saying is, if you're a teacher, it's important to recognize that you will be judged by God. And this doesn't have to be a bad thing. Diligent, careful teachers of the Word of God, those who honor His authority and work hard to teach well, they'll be rewarded by the Heavenly Father. The responsibility of this work of service for the body of Christ is great, and it's not to be taken lightly Remember, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ, and he, as the groom, carefully watches over her. And then James continues in verse 2 of chapter 3, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. He's able to bridle his 
body. And a couple of notes. First, we all stumble, including teachers, including the best of people. And this should keep us humble and constantly seeking the Lord's direction in his forgiveness. And second, the goal here is that we want to be a perfect, and this doesn't mean sinless, but rather it means mature, um, full of spiritual growth. That should be the goal of every teacher of the Word of God, but that should also be the goal of every Christian, to be mature, to be full of spiritual growth. Yeah, and Walt, as you've taken us into chapter 3, we really are jumping into the meat of this book now. Um, We've come through chapter 1 as I gave that summary. Uh, We'll we'll review chapter 2 in a future week um, coming up, but we're now into just kind of some of the meat of of this book and where James really wants to give us some real practical, even illustrations now of what he wants us to learn. And he begins in this illustration, he begins with a horse and with a ship. And he reminds us of this, the horse's whole body is guided with a small bit in his mouth. That horse will obey its rider and go as directed. What? With that bit in its mouth and those reins that are being pulled to the left or right or pulled up as in stop. And then in the same way, a similar way, a mighty ship is guided by a very small rudder. Even though the ship itself is large and may be pushed by strong winds, the captain of that ship is able to direct the course by that small rudder. And then verse 5 in chapter 3 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You know, the tongue can make a grand speech. It can boast many things even prideful words or things that have been great. The rider of a horse uses the bit to guide the path. The ship's captain uses the rudder to direct the course. And following this example, the tongue should be under our control. What? To guide our path and to direct our course. However, (laughs) the tongue, when it is not carefully constrained or guarded, it will get us into trouble. How true that is, Brenda. And and remember, James has already mentioned the tongue in chapter 1, verse 26. He writes, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And now James gives more pointed instruction regarding the power of the tongue. Though it's a small member, yet it's boasts of great things. And he uses the illustration of fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire or a spark in, in verse 5. And then verse 6 says, and the tongue is a fire. It's a word of unrighteousness. The tongue is is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the whole course of life, and set on fire by hell. And as we consider these words, just think about this. There's a great fire um, that um, starts with a small spark, and it can destroy a whole forest. Remember, this is in a Mediterranean climate, like California is in the U.S., and, and great winds come in off in California, the Pacific coast, and, and in Israel, the Mediterranean Sea, and these winds, with just a small fire that's out of control, it can just explode 
explode. Something little, something that small has the ability to destroy and explode and harm everything in its path. And that's what the tongue is. It's small, but it can contaminate and it can destroy the, the whole body and the ripples going out to others around it. Um, that destruction includes harm to myself, but also to others. And those words that would curse in the name of the Lord. And he concludes this little section on fire by talking about hell. And he uses the, the Greek word Gehenna, which comes from the Hebrew Gehenom. And this is a literal valley, the valley of Hinnom in south of, of Jerusalem. And this is where all the sewage would run. This is where the trash would be taken. This was a place that you burn trash and sewage is there and it smelled and it stunk and it was evil and it was wicked. And, and the listeners to this would have said, Oh my gosh, that's what the tongue can do? Yeah, it can stink and it can destroy and it 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 um it is not pleasant when it's not under control. Yeah, and I even as you say that, well, you know, I we've gone driven many, many times and looked down at that deep valley um at the southern and western side there of, of Jerusalem and um just the realization of what took place, the evil and the destruction that took place in the past, even as children were offered a sacrifice there, it's where um, they would dump their trash. Um, and so, you know, tying into that history of their, well, as we continue um, in James chapter 3, he wants us to um, look at animals, and he says every kind of beast can be tamed. And if we consider um, animals that we've owned. So my dad owned some horses in the past. Well, you remember one of his favorites was Blaze. Um, but Blaze was a very difficult horse. To say the least. <laughs> yeah, right. And and unfortunately, we think that Blaze was probably mistreated. And so he didn't trust his master's hand. But there were times when he absolutely did not obey my father's commands. And I remember one time I was on Blaze riding him up on our property. And Blaze decided he wanted to go to the barn. And he literally ran across the highway with me hanging on for dear life, hoping there were no cars coming. So it, it was quite dangerous um, because he did not obey according to the bit and the reins. Um, we've also, through the years, had cats and dogs. Um, I, I remember my mom had pigs uh, when they heard her coming with the wagon. They, I mean, they were trained. They would stand up and they knew that they were begging for treats. And so there are different ways we tame animals. I think of our chocolate lab uh, Snickers right now. You know, we've taught her different tricks. She obeys and follows our instructions. She sits, she knows what she's expected, where she's allowed to be. And we have tamed her. But in verse 8, James wants us to know this truth. You know, even though in 7, you can train all kinds of beasts, in verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And, you know, we work hard and to develop good habits, right? To have a disciplined lifestyle. We make our bed in the morning. We brush our teeth. We drink water throughout the day. We exercise. We put our clo dirty clothes in the laundry. We, we have all these practices that we put and we, 
we have what we would consider good discipline. But James points to that small member of the body, the tongue, and he tells us we cannot tame the tongue. And Brenda, it's so important because the tongue can be used either to promote blessings or cursings. It can either be positive words and speak highly of the Lord, or it can be negative and speak lowly. And James says this in verse 9 and 10, sometimes it, it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right, and it isn't. You know, our words have an impact on others. And as followers of Christ, that impact should encourage and exhort others to a closer walk with God. And, you know, I mourn, I grieve the times when my words discourage someone, or the, my words are flippant and, and even speak poorly of someone. And when I'm not careful to speak the truth in love, uh, that balance of, of always wanting to be truthful, but also wanting to be loving that Jesus modeled. And if you can think of a time like that, um, join me in asking the Father, Lord, help me not to, to be that way with my tongue. Help my tongue to be a consistent source of blessing for others. And as you say that and share that, Walt, certainly um, we we all can have those times when we're filled with grief. And in verses 11 and 12 here in James chapter 3, actually then continue that and and take my thoughts toward Israel as we look at this. James is again providing some more illustrations, some word pictures that would have been very familiar to his audience. And he asks these rhetorical questions. Does a spring of water bubble out fresh water and bitter water? No, of course not. No. Does a fig tree produce olives? Of course it doesn't. Does a grapevine produce figs? Absolutely not. And again, these are all word pictures that take my mind to Israel. I think of a spring of water. I quickly go to the northern part of Israel, to the area of Dan, where there are fresh waters flowing there in that national park that we visit. They are abundant. They're rushing. It is fresh water, not bitter water. But then if my thoughts turn toward where would a source of bitter water be, it would be cisterns that are found throughout the land of Israel, filled with stale, dirty rainwater caught in a plastered cavern. And then, of course, that whole idea of salt water, the Dead Sea is filled with salty mineral water that will make you sick if you drink it. And we do have one son who didn't really believe us um, when we told him that. And so he he tried that. Yes, not just once, but twice. And he did get sick from we, that. We told him. <laughs> yeah. We told him. We warned him. But the Lord is saying to us here through James, you can't get fresh water out of the Dead Sea. It's, it's just not possible. You know, James takes his audience to the heart of our Christian walk. And, and he says, how are you using your tongue? Um, years gone by, there was a children's song that included this stanza. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. 
There's a father up above, and he's looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Uh, Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, you are up above, and you are looking down, and you do care about how we use our tongue. And we don't want it to be hypocritical that, that in one moment we're speaking praises of you, and in the next we're running down people. Uh, that in one moment we're saying we're followers of God Almighty, and in the next morning we're, moment we're, we're saying something foolish or flippant. Lord, help us to use our tongue in ways that are pleasing and honoring to you. And um, Lord, would you receive glory out of this? Would you help us to apply the teachings of the book of James so that our lives and so that our words and so that our impact on others, that it's changed and we become more like Jesus Christ and our words are used more like his words. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. And until our next time, may you continue to walk with God. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America and outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.